Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards. So thankful that you're here, and I'm grateful to have another opportunity to talk with Aubrey Ballard. And I'm especially thankful because last time you came on the show, our format was a bit different. And if anybody's been faithfully listening all the way through, then you will notice the cringeworthy nature of those first few episodes where we uh, we had it scripted because I had a very specific message in mind. But then I realized that uh, scripted podcasts are about as fun as watching paint dry. So we decided to uh, change it up and invite people on the show who could, we could just have a natural conversation about different areas of the Bible, uh, different scriptures, different subjects, etc. And so I'm thankful for you being back on the show, Aubrey, because uh, it gives us the opportunity to actually have a conversation with each other instead of uh, reading what I asked for you to say. So thank you for being here. And uh, I'd like to um, intro your topic by looking at the title itself. It's called a uniform or the uniform teaching and practice of the New Testament Church. And then there's a parenthesis called Bible Chain. And so I'll ask you two questions, and you can take some, your time to answer. But uh, uniform teaching and practice. You know, why should we learn that, and why should it matter when we live in a time when you know, what matters and what's important to many people is a relationship with Jesus. And then that idea of a Bible chain, what does that mean? And how is that helpful to people who are studying the Bible? Well, thanks for having me on the podcast, Jonathan. I appreciate the, the work that you're doing and enjoy listening to your podcasts uh, with other people. Did a little bit of that on the way up here. So, man, you notice as you, as you talk to people uh, about the churches that they go to that there are so many different churches today that teach different things about very important questions. Uh, for example, what what must I do to be saved? How do I become saved? Mm-hmm. And you might get as many answers as the number of uh, churches that you go to. Um, and we, we've grown accustomed to that because um, it's part of our culture. But one thing is clear when you read the New Testament, and that is that it wasn't that way in the first century church. Right. Um, in fact, when you uh, realize this and read through your New Testament with that lens, it's something that almost jumps out at you from every page. The idea that the churches in the first century were teaching and practicing the same things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, recently, as I was reading through 1 Corinthians, I created a, a Bible chain uh, through that book, because that concept is something that Paul emphasizes so much in that letter to that church. And so a Bible chain is just um, a method of taking notes in your Bible, where uh, maybe you start at a verse that's easy to recall, or it's the first verse that you think about whenever you are thinking about a certain topic. And uh, so you open to that page in your Bible, and you make a few notes at that verse. You underline some key words. And uh, then you put the very next verse that you want to talk about out in the margin. And so once you're finished discussing uh, the meaning of that verse, you go to the next one listed and so on and so forth. And it's a a really good tool when you're um, having a Bible study with somebody in their kitchen or living room. You know, when I was a kid and I would be around my dad and and other preachers who were able to uh, 
you know, just quote verse after verse after verse, there was part of me that thought, wow, what is this mystical power that they have that they're able to just recite so many verses? But really what they're doing mentally is going down a Bible chain. And they're, they're uh, going through the studies that they've done maybe time and time again uh, in a systematic way to help people see the full picture of the Bible's teaching on it. And so what I'm taking away from this is you're giving us the opportunity to either using pen and paper, if you'd like to, or putting the, the highlights in your Bible, if you'd like to, or even just trying to memorize it mentally, but starting at one scripture and then linking others to it that are going to help somebody fully understand a topic. Is that fair? That's right. And it, you're right. It's a tried and true method. It's something that I watched my dad do uh, growing up. And so this is one that I've created. And the listener um, would want to supplement it and, and make sure they learn the material that's discussed so that they can use it effectively. Um, and they uh, might want to add to it and add some uh, other verses that they find helpful. That's a good point. A Bible chain is always something where you can add another link to. And as students of the Word, there are times, in, in fact, I would say some of my favorite moments are those aha moments whenever I see a connection that I haven't seen in the past. And so a Bible chain is always able to add another link to it. And so we want to challenge you all uh, as we go through this, that if there's another link that maybe we haven't thought about, that uh, you can email me at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com, or you can email Aubrey at... AubreyDBallard at gmail.com. Right, you can get in touch with us and uh, show us another link in the chain. So that's the great thing about these. Well, let's jump straight into it, and I'll try to pose some questions like I'm somebody who's maybe a little bit skeptical. So let's let me begin by... Uh, just looking at your title, Uniform Teaching and Practice of the New Testament Church. And I'll echo that the sentiment that I did earlier, that when I look at that, um, there may be some out there that think uniform teaching and practice, why does that matter? You know, we live in a time when uh, we should be unifying around that relationship we have with Jesus. So why should I be so concerned about the teaching and practice of the church? Well, I would just answer that question by saying that we should be concerned about it because Jesus was concerned about it. Okay. You know, Jonathan, uh, we sometimes uh, look at a prayer that Jesus prayed when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. But if there ever really truly was a prayer that was the Lord's most fervent desire that's been recorded for us, it's got to be in John 17. Right. When he's praying to his Father, and he prays that uh, believers for all time would be one in the same way as, as he and the Father are one. And he right. anticipated that as men there might be divisions that would arise among us and the troubles that that would create for the church. There would be uh, people who wouldn't believe on him because of that. And so he wanted to ensure that his followers were united, that we were all one. And so if we love the Lord, then we need to love and cherish the things that he cared about. And uh, furthermore, the New Testament uh, instructs us to all be uh, united and have the same teaching and practice. So if a, a person says, why does it matter? Uh, the simple answer is because the Bible says it matters. Right. And it matters to us, not just to the uh, first century Christians. And that really is, is where the Bible chain starts. For me, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Okay. So, uh, Jonathan, I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to turn the tables on you a little uh -oh. bit, because you normally ask <laughs> me the questions, but right. 
listen carefully so you can answer it right, okay? Oh, man, I'm nervous. Okay. So uh, it begins in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so this is Paul's address, and my question to you is, to whom was this letter written? Okay, well, uh, when you read that verse, it says, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, right? So uh, I think a lot of people are going to say, well, it's obviously written to the Corinthians. And that's right, and and we know that the epistles uh, normally uh, bear the name of their recipients. Uh-huh. Um, and so that is part of the right answer. But the passage also said that it was addressed to all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, oh, okay. our Lord. So right there at the beginning of the book of Corinthians, you have this idea that it's specifically to those Christians in that place, but its teachings are also applicable uh, universally to Christians uh, in all places and at all times. And that's so important um, in the entire New Testament. But with this book in particular, it seems that uh, people are very quick to dismiss some of its teachings as culturally irrelevant. Right. You know, specifically in chapter 11 with the teaching on headship and uh, the roles of men and women uh, in the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh-huh. And, and oftentimes people will say, well, that was just for them. That was just based on cultural concerns. Right. But from the very beginning of the book, we see that that's not so. These truths are uh, for Christians of all time. I like that. I like how in the very, it seems like the very opening statement that it's for everyone. And so that's going to help me with my mindset. You know, maybe if I am a type of person who's uh, skeptical about some of those teachings in the later chapters you mentioned on headship or roles, I might not be as open-minded about it, but if I start here, just the way Paul intended at the beginning of the of the book, it's for me, according to this scripture. So knowing that, where, where are we going to go to next in your Bible chain to help, I guess, cement that idea that there is a uniform teaching and practice? Okay, so the very next verse in my Bible chain is chapter 1 and verse 10. Okay. And, uh, you know, Jonathan, Paul had the authority of an apostle. But oftentimes he approached his his readers uh, from a different angle, from a different perspective. In this case, he's begging them to consider uh, this teaching that he's about to deliver. And he says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing Mm. and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So it's more than, you know, in the scripture, it's more than just... Uh, believing in Jesus, but speaking the same thing, no division, perfectly joined together in mind and judgment. What does that mean exactly? Speak the same thing? Well, I'm going to say something that my my grandpa used to say. Um, Whenever there was a passage of Scripture that spoke for itself, he would say, that's so plain, you need help to misunderstand that. (laughs) And okay. so my answer would be, it means exactly what it sounds like. That okay. is that we as Christians should agree and speak the same things. Um, it's basically a divine directive because he says, I'm pleading with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That mm-hmm. means by the authority of Jesus Christ right, right. to speak the same thing. So it's a, a divine directive to do the very same thing that some people think can't be done. You know, somebody 
might say, well, we're humans. We are not perfect. So how can we all agree? And it's true that we are uh, imperfect people, and sometimes our reasoning and our judgment is not valid. But the question is really about God's ability to communicate His will. Right. Is God a, a good enough communicator to explain to me what He wants me to do? Mm. And the answer is yes. You know, the right. best teachers in school, for example, are those who not, not have all the knowledge, but they can help a child understand. Is God a good enough teacher to help me understand? And I, b- I believe He is. I think about several uh, passages of Scripture um, just sprinkled throughout the entire New Testament that emphasize this over and over. But right. the first one's got to be 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. That's right. You know, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So it's the Scriptures that make us able to answer questions the same way. Right. You know, if, if a person wants to know how to uh, handle a, a situation in their marriage or um, how to overcome sin or how to obey the gospel, uh, Jonathan, you and I ought to be able to give them the exact same answer. Right. Because we tell them what the Bible teaches. Right. And uh, we're not apostles like Paul was, but uh, we can read what he wrote. You know, and we can understand what he understood. Uh, that's what he told us in Ephesians chapter three and verse four. I, I love this because we know the apostles had been guided into all truth. Mm-hmm. Um, in in First Corinthians chapter two, there's a really neat uh, illustration where uh, Paul is saying that nobody can know uh, what's in the mind of another man unless that man chooses to reveal it. Right. So you, you can't read my mind, but I can tell you what I'm thinking. Well, if that's true about men, it's definitely true about God. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we can't know the mind of God unless he has revealed it to us. Right. And Paul says there that he has revealed them to us, that is, the apostles, through his spirit. But the, the wonderful news is, Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 4, that when we read what he wrote as an apostle, we can also understand it. And so, how can we all understand the Bible alike? Well, one time Jesus asked a man a question, and after he answered, Jesus told him, you have answered rightly. Right. Uh, Because he understood the scriptures the right way, and he answered the way God answered, then he was in agreement with Jesus. And if you and I answer the way God answers, we're in Mm -hmm. agreement with each other. We're speaking the same thing. You know, um, we brought this up in private conversation earlier, but People who believe in Jesus, whatever their affiliation might be, agree that other worldviews do not have the truth. That's just part of it. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we talk about other ways, uh, whether it be another prophet, another holy man, or whatever, another system of teaching, everybody says, no, 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 there, there is an absolute truth. There is a way, and that way is Jesus. But then whenever you come into the Christian worldview and there are people of various beliefs, understandings, people say, well, we can't understand it anymore. There's, a, there's an inconsistency in that, that, that on one hand they will tell others that there is absolute truth and it is through Jesus, but we cannot know what that absolute truth is whenever you start talking about practice and teaching. So I'm, I'm taking from this Bible chain, we're two links into it, but I'm taking away some encouragement that I should be consistent with my understanding of the Bible 
to where I can reach the same conclusion that you do. Aubrey, help me understand the next link in the chain to help reinforce that idea, to, to encourage us to try to speak the same thing, to be perfectly joined together. Well, Jonathan, it takes effort. You know, uh, Peter said that some of Paul's writings were difficult to understand. The Ethiopian eunuch was reading from the prophet Isaiah, and he told the Philip evangelist, you know, how can I understand this unless someone right. helps me and, and guides me? That's a good point. So it takes diligent study and effort. You know, Paul told Timothy to study or be diligent to show yourself approved to God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, mm -hmm. accurately handling the Word of God. So um, while we know that we can understand it, it's going to take work. And in chapter 4 and verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, said to these brethren who apparently were not speaking the same thing, right. that he was going to um, send Timothy so that he could uh, remind them of his ways in Christ. He said, as I teach everywhere in every church. So sometimes when we get off track, we need reminders. Right. But that verse also shows that not only was Paul himself teaching the same doctrines in every church, but he expected the men that he trained to also go and teach those same doctrines in every church. And when faithful men, faithful gospel preachers and leaders and elders and churches are all teaching the same thing, then uh, it will help the flock, it will help the church also speak the same thing and have that unity that he's asking for. I like that. Everywhere in every church. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But uh, let's move on in the Bible chain. Uh, what comes next in this book to help emphasize that there is uniform teaching and practice? Well, the next verse is chapter 7 and verse 17. And this one's going to show that not only did they teach the same things, but they had the same practices. Paul said, But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. So he's, he's dealing with a specific uh, situation there. And then he says, And so I ordain in all the churches. Mm -hmm. So while this um, answer may have been to a situation that was specific to Corinth, um, he was saying that the answer applied everywhere. I, I ordain the same thing in all the churches. Now, don't you feel like Paul's being a little bit bossy there? I mean... He's saying, so I ordain in all the churches. And maybe somebody's going to be out there thinking, well, I don't follow Paul. I follow Jesus. And Paul even said that in chapter 1, that you know we shouldn't be of Paul or of Peter, but we should be of Jesus. And if we're that, those, that, a follower of Christ, then it's the red letters that really matter, You know, the getting our heart right and having a good relationship with Jesus. And so this scripture is proving to me that uh, Paul is just kind of being bossy. <laughs> Well, if I said that, that would be bossy. Aubrey can't say to the, the brethren, I ordain in all the churches. Now, you and I, even as younger men, can convince, rebuke, exhort with all authority, right. long-suffering, okay. um, as long as we speak as the oracles of God. In other words, you and I have to give a book, chapter, and a verse to show that what we're teaching comes from the authority of Christ. Uh -huh. Now, what people need to remember is that in the first century, there were living apostles. And before the word of God was completed, these men were uh, endowed with special power from the Holy Spirit. Right. Jesus promised before he went back into heaven that he was going to guide them into all truth. Mm -hmm. And so these were his special ambassadors on the earth. These were the apostles of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul said, so I ordain in all the churches, 
that's the equivalent of saying Jesus ordains in all the churches. Right. By the authority of Jesus, I ordain these things. Okay, that makes sense. Um, in the next Bible chain, you have from 11 verse 2, there's a similar word there. Why don't you go ahead and read it, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I think we may have already answered a little bit, but I want to go ahead and ask it anyway. Go ahead and read it for me. Okay. Chapter 11 and verse 2, he says, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Okay. So my question to you there is similar. You know, Paul ordaining things, is he being bossy? And you've helped us understand that, no, this is somebody who's coming in the authority of Jesus. That word tradition, uh, some people may be really, really... Um, skeptical about this Bible chain that would that would want us to keep traditions because the Pharisees kept traditions. They were legalists, right? You know, we don't want to be legalists. We don't want to be Pharisaical. We want to be followers of Jesus. So why would we keep traditions in, instead of the Bible's, you know, Jesus' red letters? Sure. Well, words have different connotations, and uh, they evoke certain images. And as you said, we think about traditions as man-made things, and some of them are. Uh, in fact, that's what Jesus was uh, rebuking the Pharisees for in Matthew 15 and verse 9, they were teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so they had their own man-made traditions, but they had elevated them to a, a point where they expected people to obey them and keep them with the same um, faithfulness that they obeyed God. And uh, so those types of traditions should not be taught as doctrines. But the word traditions just means something that's transmitted. Right. And so um, if you go down to chapter 11 and verse 23 of 1 Corinthians, Paul's going to explain why these traditions that he's talking about had to be kept. And he, he's really paying them a compliment. There were certain things that they had, certain traditions that they had kept. <laughs> then there were certain ones that they had not, and he corrects them. But he says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Okay, so you're you're making a connection that the traditions aren't Paul's, but they're Jesus, and that Paul is passing them along from Jesus to the Corinthians. That's right. We're, we're talking about two different categories. The, the man-made traditions are the ones that Jesus um, criticized them for, and the divine traditions are the ones that he said you must keep. Uh, there's another verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and, and 15 that uses that same word, uh, traditions. Uh -huh. Some translations actually have ordinances. These are things that were ordained by God. Mm -hmm. But um, Paul said there, that, Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. So that verse helps us see that these weren't man-made traditions he's talking about, but these were the apostolic traditions that uh, came from their preaching and their writing. And uh, those are the ones that we have to be very careful to keep because ultimately they came from the Lord. Well, I think, too, um, this just kind of popped into my head, but if somebody was afraid of the word I ordain or tradition, I mean, we think about how Jesus was ordained before the foundations of the world, preordained to come. So that word is a special and beautiful word. Uh, it doesn't have to have a legalistic, pharisaical context. It, it all depends on what's the subject that's preordaining or, or bringing that tradition. Very good. Um, Aubrey, the, a, a question that some might ask, or, or a statement I've heard, let's just say that, a statement I've heard is that let's focus on being spiritual and uh, not be so strict on 
the rules or on obeying. Maybe it's not phrased so deliberately, but that's kind of the, the spirit of the letter, uh, a spirit of that phrase. So uh, let me just ask you the question, is there a difference between spirituality and obedience? Is it is it possible to be spiritual and not take this to heart? And is it possible to obey these and not be spiritually minded? Well, obedience and, and spirituality are two distinct concepts, but I think what we find all throughout the Bible, really, is that they are connected. A, a spiritual person was always somebody who followed the Lord. Right. didn't mean they were a perfect person, but it was their desire to obey God, and they would be very careful to do that. Now, there were times, it seems, when, when people misunderstood the law of God, for example, and I think that's what Paul's referring to in Romans chapter 9 when he explains how that these Jews who had the law and seemed to be very careful to keep the law uh, did not attain to righteousness, he says, because they did not seek it by faith. Mm-hmm. And right. the way I understand that is that there were some who were very careful to observe, you know, um, all of the little things. You know, they would pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and all those things that Jesus said in another place. But it seems that they figured if they kept it perfectly, then God owed them salvation. It, it right. was the wrong attitude. Um, it wasn't a faithful, trusting obedience. It was more of a, a legalistic view of obedience. But on the other hand, in Romans chapter 6, Paul tells the Christians, he reminds them that when they obeyed the gospel, they obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which they had been delivered. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't read the Psalms of David Mm. without just seeing this very clearly. Here's a man that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. Right. A spiritual man indeed, uh, the writer of many Psalms in which he just pours out his heart to God, and uh, several things come out. Uh, This man loves the Lord. Right. He acknowledges his sinfulness before God and relies on the Lord's long-suffering nature and his kindness and goodness and and mercy. He asks him to defend him from his enemies and and all these things. And also, he looks at the law of God as something that's delightful. Mm. It's a a wonderful thing. It's a, a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. And because he loved God and was a spiritual man, it made him happy to obey God and do the things that pleased God. So, you know, to bring this back to to 1 Corinthians, there's actually a passage in chapter 14 in verse 37 that talks about the same idea. Um, Jonathan, you know, before we read it, just set it up this way. It's, It's amazing. People really haven't changed that much. Right. <laughs> we, we dress differently than they did in the first century. Uh-huh. We, we get around differently. But men and women haven't changed that much. When, when we read this verse, you're going to see that Paul anticipates the response of some of the brethren there at, at Corinth. He uh-huh. has given teaching that's uh, culturally uh, not very acceptable, even in our day. Right. He talks about the roles of men and women and order in church assemblies. And he anticipates that there would be somebody who would say, oh, come on, Paul, we're, we're more spiritually enlightened than that. Right. We know that right. careful obedience to God's will is not the most important thing. But listen to what Paul says about that. He says in verse 37, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. 
And so he's saying there that a truly spiritual person is going to acknowledge the authority of God and with a glad heart be very careful to obey him and do his will. I'd want to plug one of my favorite Bible verses to go along with that. It's Luke chapter 17, verse 10, where Jesus talks about those who obey him. And he says that their response is, uh, we are unprofitable servants only doing that which we uh, were commanded to do or that which was our duty to do. On the day of judgment, I don't anticipate nor desire nor am striving uh, to present my obedience to God as a you'd better let me in because I obeyed you. Right? Um I'm an unprofitable servant only doing what is my duty to do. I value what I have been given, this gift, this grace from heaven. It's just, it's it's more than I ever deserve because what I deserve is God's judgment and the wrath because of my sin. And yet I've been pardoned. And so one a verse that I, I think about when people say that, well, you don't have to obey God, or you, you know, that's not what it's about. It's about being spiritual. I think about Romans 6, verse 1. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. And that rhetorical question is so powerful to me because you have Paul telling you there, stop living sinfully and live a life of through the grace and faith that we've been, we have and, and we respond with. Live it in obedience to God. Aubrey, we're, I think, at the, the end of the book. Uh, we have another link in the chain, the, the final link from 1 Corinthians. Uh, help me understand in 16 verse 1 what's going on there and why it fits into this uh, Bible chain. Well, we can use this verse and the teaching here sort of like a test case or something to illustrate this general concept that we've been talking about. We've okay. been saying teach the same thing, practice the same things. What does that look like, though? Well, Paul says now, concerning the collection for the saints. So, so now he's going to address a specific ordinance, right. a specific church practice. And he says, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So keep in mind that Galatia was a, a region in the Roman Empire, and it included uh, several congregations. Right. And so Paul had already given these same instructions to all of those churches in Galatia. And he says the same things apply at Corinth. It was a, a command, an imperative. You must do the the same thing that I've already commanded them. So this kind of fits in with uh, another scripture. It's uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. As just evidence that, that Paul wrote his epistles, they were intended for all churches, not just for a specific location, even though it may have been addressing a specific problem at a specific place. The Holy Spirit and and Paul, through the Spirit, knew uh, that we would need these things as well. So like in Colossians 4, uh, he's instructing them to read the letter to the Laodiceans and then have the uh, Laodiceans read their letter, just kind of passing things around. It seems here in, in chapter 16, verse 1, that same principle is being applied, that the churches in Galatia, the church in Corinth, they were going to have the same practices that they needed to take care of. Is that right? That's right. First Corinthians is not unique in that regard. But as we said earlier, once you read the New Testament with this lens, you can't help but notice that it jumps off of every page. Okay. Well, for a final question, let me pause right there just to say we'll kind of lump those, those two points, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, and then that final sentence. I'll let you kind of just say it together. Okay. Uh, a final question. 
question I'd like to maybe end with. We've finished our Bible chain, um, but you have a scripture in your notes on 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. And I'd like for you to comment on that scripture and then also maybe encourage us with a final thought on what makes New Testament Christianity possible today. When we look at this Bible chain and other things, what, how, how are we going to live it out? Okay, well, early on in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul told them that he was going to send the young evangelist Timothy to remind them of the things he had, had taught. Well, in the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, we see his uh, instructions to that young evangelist. And, and this verse is easy to remember because of the twos. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Mm-hmm. And he told him, The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So if, if we've been listening carefully to the, the discussion, you'll notice at least five generations of, of people through whom the gospel has passed here. The first one is implied. It's Jesus, because that's uh, who Paul got his gospel from. Right. And then there's Paul himself, who taught Timothy, the second generation. Okay. Now, Timothy would be the, the third generation. He had heard the teachings of Paul, and Paul expected him to go and deliver those same uh, teachings, that same body of doctrine, that same pattern of teaching. Uh, to all the churches where he preached. right. But then look, he tells Timothy to commit those things to faithful men. That's the fourth generation that we see in this verse. Now, why was it so important that he commit these to faithful men? Well, it's because those men uh, had to accurately transmit the things they heard from Timothy and teach them to others. Mm-hmm. And so that's the fifth generation of people. So I love this verse, uh, John, because... Uh, Everybody who has heard the gospel today has heard it because at some point this principle, this teaching was obeyed. I'm so glad that the teachings of the uh, divinely inspired apostles have been preserved for us in the scriptures. And we can learn those things. And, you know, if we as young men, we can take this to heart and older men can take this to heart. Anybody who wants to be an effective servant for the Lord, an effective teacher of God's word. Um, style uh, is secondary compared to content and accuracy. And if we want uh, people to be saved, then we need to make sure we're transmitting those same truths um, the way Paul instructed Timothy to do, accurately and uh, faithfully. Well, brother, thank you very much for coming on uh, for this Bible chain. I'm going to make a little, some sort of an illustrated uh, chain reference to put the scriptures in it, and it'll be on the website. So for those of you who uh, are have subscribed to the podcast, you can head on over to pureandsimplebible.com backslash podcast, and uh, at this episode, I'll try to have that image up there for you uh, whenever I post this episode. So, brother, thank you very much for coming on. Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, John. I do invite you to go and check out pureandsimplebible.com. You can look at all the other podcasts, the videos, and the study resources that are yours to use absolutely free. And I'm serious about that. Everything is downloadable, and it's free for your use. As the sole owner and copyright holder, I I would even challenge you to read my copyright statement on the resources because it's specifically worded for your use, your free use. I want you to take these and, and share it with anyone. And so, until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing.
See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.